You're listening to MHD Off the Record South LA Highlights, where I, Siobhan Taylor, speak with local organizations, small businesses, and individuals doing amazing work in South LA. Here, we uplift and highlight their work while keeping you informed of the resources available in our community. On this episode, we speak with Destination Crenshaw artist Patrick Henry Johnson. Patrick Henry Johnson is an internationally acclaimed visual artist based in Los Angeles. Johnson attended the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, before moving to L.A. to further his career as an artist. In 1993, Johnson undertook a five-year apprenticeship with an international mural company where he learned the basics of mural making and began to hone his own unique style. Johnson's artwork can be seen in various parts of Los Angeles, including a 72-by-14-foot mural titled Pentaloom Ode to Soldiers at 51st Street and Central Avenue, depicting the cost of war to the human soul. He is also well known for his iconic mural, Elixir, The Rebirth, at Crenshaw Boulevard and Stocker Street, and created original illustrations for Mariam Ali's children's book, I Shook Up the World, The Incredible Life of Muhammad Ali. Welcome, Patrick Henry Johnson. Yes, yes, Siobhan Taylor. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. Good, great to get, good to see you. Good to see you. You're one of my favorite people, so I love talking to you. <laughs> and you came in dapper and sharp. I can't not say that. Always. This is how I get down. I love dressing. So, you know. If I was time. a fashion person, I could describe it to a T, but I am not. But you look sharp. You got a nice, is that a blazer? Actually, it's not even a blazer. It's a nice long It's a, a three, coat. three-quarter length coat, long coat. Blue. All blue. You got you all ready for Crenshaw. Yeah, you Crenshaw sharp. Yeah. <laughs> you got the blue. I don't. I don't want to call it a rag, but it's a, a bandana. Bandana. A right, his, right, a right. That's how you know I'm from the hood. Uh, a blue bandana around his neck. Yes. A nice uh, plaid. Is that what this, that was called? Plaid. Uh, this is gingham. Gingham. Yes. I don't see. I don't know all these fancy terms. Yeah. So this is gingham. This is plaid. Uh, and these are the classic pants, your pants. Um, military. Uh, Marine dress blues. Okay, marine dress blues pants. Right. Okay, and you got nice jewelry on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, artists always be so sharp. Last time I interviewed an artist, artist I had an artist named Lily Floor, and she came dressed to the T, too. Oh, okay. Just okay. beautiful. I don't Just, know her. She's another muralist. Listen to South, our other South LA highlight with Lily Floor, and I think you'd, get to, okay, okay. I think you'd also enjoy that interview I'll, as well. I'll check it out. I'll check it out. But um, let's talk about you. Okay. And your background and who you are. So you're someone that who is known, but not known in the sense that we know your art. Right. Everybody in the community has seen it. Anybody who's driven down Crenshaw, especially, has right, seen your art. Right, right, right. Right? You're known in the art world. I'm sure everyone, like, you're very famous. I'm known in the art world. But yeah. as far as everyone driving down the street, they might not know your name, but they know your art. Right, absolutely. So absolutely. let's talk a little bit about your background. When did you begin painting, and what inspired you to start? Ooh, okay, so that's a, a dense question. I began painting around about seven Seven years old. So basically your whole life. My whole life. But I, I had been drawing. D- the drawing came first and then the painting came after. Um, but the once I started painting and seeing color, I still loved drawing, but painting started to take over. And the more I, the more I painted, and I didn't have an outlet to paint until uh, this woman, I was in the... Um, fifth grade. She paid for my art lessons. She would come pick me up every Saturday morning at eight o'clock and she would take me to the beach with this um, 
in this affluent community, and all these kids, white kids, uh, that's what they did every Saturday morning. So, and I was the only black child there, which was, it was kind of daunting in the, in the beginning, but the music was the, the music and then the art was the thing that brought everyone together. And there was no, there was no color, just kids painting and drawing and listening to classical music. And about how old were you when you began to do that? That was about fifth, fifth, sixth grade. So what did she see that made her say, ooh, I had to pick up Patrick and take him over there? I could not stop drawing. You just couldn't stop? I could not stop drawing. I remember when I was in the second grade and, you know, just thinking about the story. When I was in the second grade, there was a, uh, my teacher, her name was Miss Downey. So Miss Downey says, okay, so the class is language arts. All I heard was art. That's all I heard was art. <laughs> so everyone else was taking out their red pencils and their lined paper, and I took out crayons and, and white paper. And I was looking around like, why is everybody doing that? I couldn't understand. I said, well, didn't you guys hear that she said art? But it was language arts. So she came and you know, made me you know, put my uh, crayons and paper away. But my, my mind was always being creative, thinking of a way to get to drawing and painting. What do you think sparked that? Like what inspired even that inside of you? Honestly, I firmly believe I came here with that charge to be who it is that I am right now. And the same voice that I heard when I was a little kid persist today. It's the same voice, and it tells me what to do, how to do what I'm going to do, how to figure things out. It just guides me along the way. And it's been doing the same thing since I was a little kid, walking around looking for uh, paper to draw on. Um, you know, I would take a, a razor blade and go through my house and cut out all of the, the blank pages in books so I would have paper to draw. Wow. And then I would sharpen the pencil with the razor blade so I can sit down and draw. I had to get that, that voice. I had to satisfy the, the sound of that voice. And the only way to satisfy it was to draw. Was your family um, supportive of this? Um, they, I would say they were supportive, supportive in a manner of... So my younger brother... You know, he always he was always like a mainstay, and he loved seeing these creations. Uh, then my oldest brother was the one who actually sat me down and showed me the mechanics of drawing. And then once I, once I was able to harness those mechanics, he actually stopped drawing. So, so he would draw. Yeah, and he was really good. Okay. So he would draw cartoons, uh, not cartoons, but comic books. So he sat me down and showed me how to look at a paper, how to look at a book, and then transfer that image to the paper and to be to make sure it's the way it looks on that, uh, you know, in the book. But once I got those mechanics down, my brother, uh, Johnny is his name, he stopped drawing. So it was as if he he was charged to hold this gift for me until I was ready to take on it myself. 
And then once I was able to take on, he just passed it as a baton to me and I was able to go. It, almost as if that was his purpose, right? That's, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I can't be more explicit. He was, and and I love who he was for me because he was my hero. Mm. So I wanted to be around him and I wanted to impress him and I wanted his acknowledgement that I was good. So whatever he gave me to draw, I was going to draw it to show him that I listened and I did it. So you have the support from you, your brothers, yeah. your younger brother and you said your older brother. Yeah. And to the point where you felt so inspired to continue this, mm -hmm. um, which was also instinctual. You were, felt like you were born with this. Yeah, absolutely. You, but you also had the support of your older brother to help you hone this. Right. Um, to the point where eventually you're like, yo, I want to study this. I want to go to college for this. Um, did your family also support you going to college to study art? Because I know for a lot of black families, we finally get our kids into college. And we sometimes, that's not always encouraged. Uh, the answer would be no. <laughs> oh, so that would, <laughs> let's, no. let's talk about that because there are, I'm sure no. there are a lot of young black people, young black uh, kids who are like, yeah, I want to go study, go study art. And then their parents are like, go study computers, go study business. And right. that's, that's not where their heart is. No, so my, my mom was... Okay, so my mom was just crazy, and she did the she did the best that she could. Uh, she had ten ten children, but she did the best that she could with what she was working with. And I knew that I had to get away from being in that environment. And to be clear, ten kids will make you crazy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to yeah, say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had to get away from that environment because the environment was not nurturing for a creative spirit. And what I did was all of my friends were going to college. And as a student in school, I was a horrible student. So it didn't make sense for me to further being a horrible student by going to college. Mm. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that. So I took a year off and I, I worked at Walgreens Drugstore. And then I found the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale, and I filled out all the paperwork, and I forged my mom's signature to get into the school, to get the, the loans and the grants, all those things. And in my 18, 19-year-old mind, I don't know how I did it, but Providence was on my side again. And it seems as this journey that I've been on, Providence has always been on my side. So I got accepted into the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale. I got to Fort Lauderdale, and it was the first time that I felt not free, but I was at the same vibratory level that everyone else was, and everyone else, they were, everyone was artists. Because you're now in an environment where everyone is on the same wavelength as you. Yes. And they can understand how you think. They can understand how you talk. They can understand your passion, your drive. Right. Whereas in a place like, where, like you said, you're, you're from Valdosta, Georgia. Valdosta, then St. Petersburg, Florida. Okay. So yeah. and these are basically places that are a little bit smaller, I'm guessing, than Fort Lauderdale on top of that. St. Petersburg is the fourth largest city in, um, in Florida. Okay. But Valdosta is a, is a hit. Well, not a oh, hick town, but it's a hick it's town. It's very small. Yeah. Okay. So now you're in Fort Lauderdale and you're in a school where everybody's on the same wavelength. Everybody's as passionate as you are about art. Right. Work, willing to work as hard as you are for their art. 
And I'm sure that's just oh, it was great. It was motivating. great. It was great. And when I got there, I said to myself that I'm going to prove to everyone that I'm the best person here. I'm the best artist here. That's what my charge was. And so I would walk around and I would look at everybody's work. I would go to everybody's dorm room and I would look at everyone's work and I would assess them based on what I know that I could do. I'm like, mm, nah, nah, <laughs> nah, nah, oh, wait a minute. And this guy from Barcelona, Spain, his name is Danny Alario. He blew my mind. You remember his name, so that means he really, he really Oh, we're still friends mind. today. Oh, good. Yeah, Danny Alario. What Danny did for me, technically, Danny could not draw or paint as well as I could. But uh, his imagination was fertile. And he taught me how to be imaginative, how to see beyond what you see. And that's what he taught me. So, for instance, we did, this, we did an assignment, uh, and the assignment was to do the color wheel, Roy G. Biv. So that's the color wheel. Your primary colors and your secondary colors. Everybody did a pie chart. Everybody, myself included, but not Danny Alario. This little, he did M&Ms. He did colored M&Ms in a circle being poured out of a bag. And the M&Ms were floating off the page. So he painted a gray shadow and each M&M, which was a different color, which was the color wheel. When he put that on the, um, the board for critique, everybody's like pie chart. And Danny. Wow. I was dumbfounded. I was inspired. I wanted to choke him. <laughs> but we became instant friends. So how did that feel to know that you had this technical skill, but then you realize, like, wait a minute, I got to be freer and more imaginative with my art. How did that feel for you as an artist to realize that you weren't as free as you thought you were imaginatively? Okay, that's, that's a really good question. Um, and the initial feeling, I'm, I'm telling you honestly, the initial feeling was envy because it, I couldn't do it. I didn't do it. And it wasn't me. Mm. However, the, the feeling right after that was I was inspired by him and I liked him. So we became instant friends. You know, we started smoking weed together, chasing girls together, um, drawing together, listening to... He also changed my music. That was the first time that I started listening to rock music. So I'm listening to The Police. I never listened to The Police before. And I started listening to The Police. And this, is, this music is great. So, I mean, he cracked open doors in my mind that just, they flung wide open. Mm -hmm. And they've never closed. So you go to a school that... It's funny because a lot of times I hear from artists who feel like they don't need to go to school because, you know, and some people maybe don't. But it sounds like you were, you went to school, you, but you developed your technical skills. But through your relationships and through being around your peers, you also were able to unlock another part of yourself. That maybe if you hadn't met this particular peer of yours, maybe you would have met someone else. We don't know. Mm -hmm. But you met this peer. And that was able to unlock another part of yourself. I owe a debt of gratitude to Danny Alario. And I tell anybody who asks me, you know, the process of me becoming Patrick Henry Johnson, the artist, and also Patrick Henry Johnson, the person, because the music 
also was something that reshaped the person that I was creating. Um, and okay, so for instance, the police, Sting is the lead singer of the police, was the lead sting, singer of the police. And sting was an English teacher. So he was a supreme lyricist. So to read his lyrics, you had to go to the dictionary to understand what the what is he talking about. I had no idea who Metastopheles was. I'm like, who is? I don't know what that means. So I go look up in this uh, Greek name for the devil. So then I reread his lyrics and I'm listening to the song and I go, oh, okay, I, that makes sense. And the song King of Pain. He's it's just such he's such a beautiful, uh, thoughtful lyricist and. To excavate and harvest that kind of beauty, I'm like, okay, I want to do that for myself. I want to be able to explore who I am and share it with people, share the beauty of myself, what my mind looks like, so what my inner thoughts look like. I'm going to paint my inner thoughts, and you'll be able to see it. I love that. Yeah, absolutely true. So you let's fast forward a bit. <laughs> I love that. Okay. The, our extra sound effects. I All love right, that. Right. Um, you go from Fort Lauderdale of the Art Institute there. Later, you wind up in Europe painting murals. And there's a difference between painting on canvas to painting a mural. How did you end up being a muralist? I did. In Europe. <laughs> so this is another person who was responsible for changing my life again his name is carlos ozimo carlos was from um buenos aires argentina and he put an ad in the uh, la times it's like 93 something like that the ad said art is wanted that's all it said so i answered the ad and i brought my portfolio to the to his art studio for him to take a look at it so at this I, point you had already moved to la yeah okay i had no idea what a muralist was I had no idea. I had no idea what I was getting into. So answering that ad, um, Carlos looked at my work, and then he wouldn't let me paint murals because I didn't have the skills. So what he did, he put me, basically he put me in an apprenticeship. It's like being in the uh, whirling dervish. So the whirling dervish, you have to wash dishes for everyone. You have to clean everyone's clothes, but you can't join the, the order of the dervish until you show yourself approved. That's what I had to do in the studio was to show myself approved. And all of the artists in, those, in that studio, everyone was better than me. So it was eight artists in that studio. I was number nine, and I was the low man on the totem pole. And that was a hard thing for me to accept because I had always been the best wherever I went. And you're very competitive. And I'm competitive. Yeah, I'm like, mm -hmm. <laughs> But these, these, these guys were, they were well-trained masters. So it was like five of them from Russia, a couple of guys from Argentina, from Norway, from um, the Philippines. And again, I learned about more music, music and literature from Russia. I learned about uh, poets from Argentina. Um, I learned about, uh, what's this guy's name? Uh, che Guevara. I had no idea who Che Guevara was. Um, then um, Isabel Allende. I started learning these things about other people and other cultures, which enriched my my life and my experience. 
But in the meantime, I'm learning how to paint murals because I have to do the watercolor sketches to scale. So to scale is if a mural is 40 feet, it's uh, a foot, an inch to a foot. So on paper, I have to do the exact same thing what the mural is going to look like on the wall. So I had to do the sketches for everyone in the studio before. So I would learn the mechanics of a mural and then I would give them the sketch, watercolor sketch, and then they would do the painting. So after about a year, and I was frustrated like nobody's business because they were traveling to Europe and I, I couldn't go because I hadn't painted anything and I couldn't install anything. So I was like, okay, okay, I want to do a mural now. So my first mural, I did a monochromatic desert scene. It was done in sepia tone. And it was done in this, this old master style called the wipe-off. So you roll, you do the, the drawing, you roll the uh, paint on, and it's very thin. It's watery. Then you take a rag and you wipe off the highlights. And then you wipe off the middle ground. And so by the time you finish wiping, the only thing is left is shadow. So you wiped off the highlights. And you got to know the degree to what to wipe off so you can have the bright, bright highlight the middle ground and the shadow and the reflective light. So you got to know all that. So it's a very specific skill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, um, the Dutch master's skill. So I learned those uh, I learned those techniques. And, you know, like after about a year, year and a half, I was able to do my own mural. And then that's when I started traveling. And we went to, uh, what is it, Trieste. Trieste is in northern Italy on the Adriatic coast. So every year for 13 years, I was in Italy. So we would start in Italy, and the job, let's say the job was for a month. We would finish the job in two weeks. So I had two weeks to gallivant around Europe by myself. Oh, wow. So I would catch the train and go to Rome, and then I would go to Florence, and then Pisa, then I would go to Monte Carlo, then I would go to Lyon, and I would go to Paris, and I would go to come back through the Pyrenees Mountains, go to Barcelona, go to Madrid. I would just be everywhere. And I can imagine both as an artist and just also as, you know, someone who's, you know, just maybe it hasn't had that experience before just to be able to go do that, you the, know, as a, in a place like Italy. Where the most beautiful thing, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. The most beautiful thing, I think, for anyone is to, you got to get lost. Mm-hmm. You got to get lost and you don't know where you are and you don't know anyone and you don't know where you are. That's when you discover who you are, what you're made of, what your fiber is made of. What good are you to yourself when you get lost? And I got lost countless times. And that's the best part about traveling is getting lost. How do you feel like that is reflected in your art? Uh, I'm explorative with my art, so I like to go. I like to go places that I haven't been, and also to create something that, from the point of view of the viewer, they have access to. You know what I was talking about earlier is that space in my mind that has been open, so I want you to see. Yeah. And so you get to walk in and walk around in my mind and go, okay, this is something to this guy that I, I like. I like what he is saying and how he's saying what he said. And I, I can feel what he's saying. And I like the feeling 
of being in this space. So you have this skill set now that you've developed, you know, as a muralist. Mm-hmm. And you don't just take it and keep it. You bring it back here and you share it with South Central. You know, Yes, I did. <laughs> and I love that because I'm, I'm a South Central yeah, yeah. baby. You I know? know. We had and that conversation. <laughs> you know how yes, much I right. love my, you know, I, I know. love my community. I know. And you bring it right to 51st and Central. Central is a very historic city. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a street. Um, especially for those of us here. If anybody who may not know, I feel like you should know, but if you don't know, Central Avenue is Central uh, Avenue, right? Is a very historic place. Um, a lot of black-owned businesses um, during um, the second wave of the Great Migration, and, and even the first wave, a lot of black-owned businesses were um, on Central Avenue. It's the Jazz Central area of the country. Um, one right. of the big places. Um, the Dunbar Hotel is there. The first black fire station is over there. Um, and you actually painted a mural on 51st and Central. Um, what's the name? Of, I forgot the name of the building. It's the um, that's the, the um, patriotic the uh, lodge. It's the um, something region. I can't remember. I can't, I can't even the building. But yeah. go to 51st and Central. You're still there. Let's tell us about how you got commissioned to do that painting. That uh, mural. So that mural came about with um council member Curran Price. And um, I don't know how he found me. Um, I think it was the Elixir mural is how he found me, which is the, the like the greatest business card ever. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I want to bring that up when, when I start talking about Crenshaw. But all right, I all definitely right. want to talk about that. So we, he, hired, he has me to come to, oh, it's called a post. So he has me to come to the post and meet uh, the guys who frequent the post. So I go meet the guys, and they were they were a little uh, standoffish in the beginning. Um, however, it was my charge. I'm like, no, no, we're gonna be friends. We all gonna be friends. We gonna love each other, and that's just what it's gonna be. So their idea for the mural, they wanted to paint battleships and tanks. I'm like, I'm not painting that. I'm not. You didn't want to glorify war. Yeah, and, that's, war. and I told him, I said, okay, so if I did that, that's going to glorify war. And I'm not going to uh, assist uh, uh, the glorification of war by painting armaments. I'm not going to do that. So so everyone was, okay, so what, what, can, you know, what would you like to do? I said, what about if we just take it through from Vietnam all the way through to Desert Storm and show the ravages of war on the human soul? How are we going to do that? I said, well... You're like, I'm an artist. That's what I do. <laughs> if we had portraits of each person, oversized portraits on the building of each person with their helmet on, with the look of being shell-shocked, dirty and grungy, and just that look of despair, we could paint that, and then you could see what war does to the human soul and then below those images, we can have people walking through mud, you know, walking through water. And then we can depict the travels of war. And everyone, they loved the idea. So it was up to me to now, you know, do a sketch, meet with them again, Joanne Kim. She was a part of it. Meet with them again and then show them and explain to them again how it's going to be done. And you, Union Bank... Current Price and another organization, they actually paid for the job. And they wanted me to 
mentor 10 kids. And so the 10 kids, and it was a, a variety of children. So I said, okay, okay, I'll do that under one condition. So if you guys purchase books for the kids to read prior to them doing the mural with me. And they said, well, okay, well, what's the book? And I said, well, okay, it's called The Alchemist. And uh, the girl, she goes, Joanne, she said, oh, I know that book. That's a great book. So they went and purchased 10 books. They got the 10 books, gave it to all the students, and then they read it. And then by the time we got to the wall, they were so inspired. They were ready to go. And so I could make reference to them about what the book had said in conjunction with what was happening on the wall. Wow. So that way they could, it's like, oh, okay, so Santiago was doing this. And, oh, okay, so now we're at the stage where we're about to go, we're in the desert. Oh, okay, okay. They, they, were, they were on board with me all the way. Hold up, hold up, hold up. I'm going to make hold a connection. Up. Wait. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making this connection. The same kid who pulled out his white paper and crayons to draw in language arts class <laughs> <laughs> is teaching language arts. Yeah, that was good. While was painting good. a mural. While painting a mural. That was good. It came full circle. That is I never amazing. thought about that. That was good. That was good. I, I never thought about that. Uh, that's never amazing. crossed my mind. I, I just thought about that. Because I would have never, I mean, but the fact that you're able to make that correlation, mm-hmm. these same kids who probably would have not read the book, or maybe they would have later in life, who knows, but you were able to get them interested in literature and correlate it with what they were doing, which was painting, using, you know, this is, that's an amazing they correlation and connection. They loved it. They loved it. They loved it. And I'm still in contact with at least four or five of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. And... um I was invited to their house, you know, to meet their parents. So it was a great experience. So let's let's talk about this too. Why is it that or what do you what value do you see in community art? Because I can see the value that you have in producing it. But what value do you see in it being there? Cuz you know, someone like me, I know nothing about art. Like I know absolutely nothing. I've seen your art Mm-hmm. And didn't like I didn't even I never knew your name, and I'm okay. sure there are plenty of people like me who just ignorant, <laughs> ignorant right. about okay. art. Okay. Here, here I am sitting with a famous artist. That's Don't right. you know? Didn't even know. You know what I mean? Right. Didn't realize you know that I'm you know seeing the art of a famous muralist and a famous artist, and yet I'm appreciative of the beauty in my community. Okay. What value? Do you feel, because I see the value for me as a, as a person in the community, but as an artist, mm-hmm. how do you see the value of community art? Okay, so I, I appreciate what you said about what it does for you. So it makes it personable and personal to you. And that has to be the primary charge for any artist because when a viewer views a piece that you've done, they take it and be, it becomes theirs. And it has to become, the, the, the viewer has to take ownership. I love that. I love that. I can feel that. So when you say, I love that, I can feel that. You, 
that's an emotional connection. So now it becomes a part of your your subconscious mind. It's it's a part of you now. And I think that public art in places where art is not readily shown, it transforms the minds, going back to that, transform the minds of the viewers because it takes them to places and it allows their imagination to be fertile as opposed to just seeing, uh, you know, gray walls or brick walls and you put a mural on a, uh, a gray wall and you change the whole energy in the neighborhood. And once you do that, the people in the neighborhood, they take ownership because they love what it feels like. Now they're driving and, you know, you glance over and you look at that mural. They love that mural. And they remember everything about every day that you were painting. Oh, I remember the day when you started, you put it, first you did that white coat and then you were out here like three o'clock in the morning and then you were doing the drawing and some people come up to me in the grocery stores, oh no, I remember you because, and they give me all these stories. So the process of it is also part of engaging the community. Oh yeah, yeah. The process, it's akin to theater. Okay, so the opening night of theater, you know, the curtains are drawn, and then, the, you know, the actors, they come out, and they do their thing. So the opening day, I do the exact same thing. I treat it as if it's a theater. I bring music, and I, I play music in the neighborhood that they usually don't listen to. So we're going to change the frequency, change the dynamic. So I'm going to make you come to me, and I'm going to make you listen to the music that is inspiring me to do this painting in your neighborhood. And so I'm going to bring you to me. And that music, just imagine, okay, so Frank Sinatra. Fly me to the moon and let me live amongst the stars. You got that going. And it's blasting in a neighborhood that just, it's Tupac. It's like, okay, what is that? What is he doing? What is this this weird guy? Why are you playing this grocery store music? Why is he playing that? <laughs> what is he doing? But by the end of the week, oh, you know that song that you were playing on Tuesday? That, um... um fly Me to the Moon? Yeah. Can you play that again? Yeah. Oh, all, yeah. That song's kind of fly, though. Yeah. Oh, it's dope. <laughs> Frank Sinatra's greatest hits. It's dope. But, you know... So one of the most popular ones, at least here for those those of us who are in the Crenshaw area, is Elixir. Right. And I'm sure that's the one people talk to you about all the time. All the time. I think you have T-shirts and mugs with yes. that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have yeah, merch yeah, yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I'm sure that is something. That's over on Stalker. It's on the side of, of, of what's, what's the building? The Liquor Bank. The Liquor Bank building. Right. Um, And it's the woman with the afro. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that painting and what inspired that? I'm, I'll tell you exactly. So my ex-girlfriend, she had just gotten out of the shower. She had this big afro, and she was standing by uh, French doors, and I could see her silhouette because the sun was shining through the French doors, and I couldn't see her face clearly, but I could see the silhouette. So I'm like, okay, don't move, don't move. So I went and got my sketch pad and did a sketch of her, and then I was like, okay, I got it. She's like, what, what are you doing? I said, I got it, I got it. And so when I decided to do 
the the mural, I did a a painting first, which is four feet by four feet. The wall is 40 by 40, so it's the same size. So dimensionally, it's the same size. So when I did the uh, four foot by four foot painting, I hung the painting in my in my in my home, and it was just so beautiful. I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. So I went to the liquor bank and I spoke to the guy who owned the property, Tom Chung, I think his name is. I think he lived out in Reseda or something. I don't I don't remember, but he asked me what was I going to put on the wall. So I, I showed him, and. He said, well, let me think about it. So I wrote a contract between him and I. So whatever I make for the life of the mural, you get a percentage. And he says, okay, deal. Signed the contract. And then I showed him the, the, the image of uh, Elixir. And once I got his approval, that was September the 16th of 2011. September 16th. I think, yeah, September 16th. Once I got his approval, 2010. Once I got his approval... Oh, I couldn't even wait to start. I could not wait to start. I could not. And I was raising money because I wanted other artists in the neighborhood that I appreciate their work. I wanted them to work with me. So I said, okay, so I can pay uh, Ink One. I can pay uh, Michael Massenberg. And I asked all these guys. But the funding that I was hoping to get never came through. So I ended up painting that, that mural in its entirety by myself. And it took me two months because I worked most of the time with a, uh, an extension ladder. So because I couldn't rent a, a scissor lift to get to the top, I didn't get the scissor lift until like uh, the last week of the painting. And then I was able to get to the top and do the purple because I was working on a, an extension ladder. It was 15 feet and then it extends to 30 feet. So I'm at the top rung of that ladder, you know, stretched out, barely... And some days I would be out there by myself and no one was, you know, spotting the ladder. I just had to get it done, had to get it done. Finally, when I got it done, the last day of that mural, I was painting the uh, DNA double helix that's coming out of her afro. And I was right on the wall and I'm painting and I could feel everything that I felt for the, um, the woman, the silhouette. I still, that was still a part of me. And I didn't know at the time that the mural had become therapeutic, that I could exercise her out. So all of the love I had for her, I just poured it into the mural. And that's retrospectively, I learned that no one was supposed to help me because that was my, that was my exercise to get her out. Because at that point, you guys were no longer together. Yeah, we were not together anymore. Now, she texted me three weeks ago. Wow. She texted me three weeks ago, and I wish I still had that text, but it's, you know, on Instagram, so it'll go away. She texted me, and she said, the love that we shared at that moment in time was so beautiful, and I appreciate what you did for me, and I'll always remember you. Well, that's sweet. I was like, I just laid in bed for a moment. I'm like, okay, now that was all right. That was all right. That was, that was pretty good. Yeah, that was that was good. That was good. And it's, what's beautiful about that is it's a moment. You had it. You also ha already have it out of your system. Right. And now you can just appreciate it for what it was. And that's also the beauty of, beauty of art, too. Right. It gives you a moment. You can preserve it. But the emotion that you had attached to it, that's gone. Oh, it's gone. It's, it's gone. gone. And that's it's okay. Gone. 
but but you are able to appreciate it. Yes. And now the rest of the community can appreciate the beauty that came out of that as well. Yeah, and they love that painting. So. Oh, clearly, because guess what? Now you're one of Destination Crenshaw's <laughs> artists. You're one of the commissioned painters. Yes. And how did you get involved in that? Okay, so Destination Crenshaw invited me to their first or second meeting, and they were using my Elixir mural as their brochures, as their PowerPoint displays. I'm like, uh, hold on, time out. That's, in, uh, that's an intellectual property. So you can't just use it. Uh, so let's have a discussion about how we can benefit each other. And also, I want a mural as well. So there's no way, there's no way that Destination Crenshaw, and I'm saying this out loud, there's no way Destination Crenshaw could do murals on Crenshaw Boulevard and not hire me. Yeah. There's just no way. And I can already imagine how you said it. Just yeah, like this. Yeah, you already, <laughs> you already know. And I can already imagine they were like, oh, of course. Yeah. I know that wasn't an argument. And Joy was like, Joy Simmons, whom I love. She's, I love Joy. I love her. I love her. I love her. She's like, no, no. Uh, and she calls me boo-boo. No, boo-boo, don't worry. We got you. I, I know. I knew that. I knew that as soon as you said, can't do it without me. And everyone was like, huh, duh. Because <laughs> there's no way that you're doing all these murals and everybody's like, wait a minute. Where's Patrick? There we go. Where Where is Patrick? So there's no way anything could be done without me. So how does that feel to be a part of this? This is this is historic. This is a very historic project. So how does it feel to be a part of that? I mean, I know you said, of course, but because you're supposed to be a part of this. But how does that feel to know that you are a part of this? I think that it's, okay, so it's well-deserved. I'll say that. It's well-deserved. But also... Uh, the, the recognition is great. Um, the pay is also great. Because let's be honest, artists, especially black artists, aren't always paid fair. And would you say you're being... That can be a part of... I'll just say that can be a part of the story. Um, I have decided not to have that be a part of my story. Not your story. Right, 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 right. Because right, I know right. I, we've, we've had this discussion. We had, right, we had but this for conversation. Some, but for some black artists... They, and I love talking to you. With you, I do. I really do. <laughs> but for some black artists, they, they will say this has been a part of their story. Yeah, absolutely. But for you, I know that this is not, I know you are very adamant about like making sure that you're compensated <laughs> for what you do. But for this project, would you, how do you feel about being a part of this and the compensation that you've received? I'm honored. I'm honored because it's a, um, it's a milestone moment and it's going to revamp and reshape what Crenshaw Boulevard looks like. So 50 years from now, I will be still a part of that, you know. So when they look back on the, the list of all these great uh, sculptors and painters, uh, they will run across the name of Patrick Henry Johnson, which is thoroughly satisfying. So my, my children, my grandchildren, they will say, like, oh, that's, 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 that's what dad did. It's yeah. like, oh, no, you know, dad was dope. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and I'm I'm excited that you're a part of this too, and I'm honored that I even got to meet you and, and talk to you right here. And the fact that we get to highlight you right here on as our South LA highlight because it's it, I agree, well deserved. Yes, yes absolutely thank you. well deserved. Thank and you, I appreciate you. that you decided to bring your talent and your skills and your art and your imagination to South Central Los Angeles to South LA, um, because the beauty of community art. 
mm-hmm. is something that helps us helps us thrive. And people don't always know the the economic benefits that come with having art and beauty in our neighborhoods. Like, no, they don't. And and so I appreciate you for bringing it here. Yeah, because what it does, it changes the value of a neighborhood. Absolutely. Yeah, it changes it right away. It makes you want to walk around. It makes you want to utilize the businesses in your neighborhood. Yeah, what is it? Pedestrian friendly? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it does. And so I appreciate you for being a part of that. Thank you. You're welcome. Do you have any other projects coming up that we should be looking out for? Or how can we support you in what you're doing now? Uh, I am working on my solo uh, show, which is later this year. I'm working on that. I'm also, well, you're not selling paintings to, the, to LeBron James, by the way. And I'm working on a project <laughs> right now for LeBron James. Of course you are. Yeah, I'm working on that. Uh, we just put, we finished the uh, the proposal. So I'm working on that. Um but just creating ideas that I see in my head. And I, have a, and I have dreams where the dreams tell me what the painting's supposed to look like. So just, just creating and painting. Okay. And is there any way we can support you? Um, I have to think about that. Okay. Yeah, I have Let to think me know. I don't want to just... You know, be rash and say something. I'll, just, I'll, I'll, I'll think I'll about it. I'll tell you what. You let me know, and I'll make I'll, sure. I'll to, let you know. And I'll make sure and put them in the show notes. All right. I'll let you know. Sounds like a will. plan. Right. Well, thank you so much, Patrick Henry Johnson, for joining us here on MHD Off the Record South LA Highlights. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to MHD Off the Record. And special thank you to Felicia, the poetess Morris of Morris Media Studios in Lamert Park. For more information, please visit MHDCD8.com and follow at MHDCD8 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to rate us five stars, subscribe, and share with a friend.